And welcome to this episode, episode number 81 of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. It's a different type of podcast today because we got my brother on and we got CJ Pukala on from On Your Sports. He's also the uh, co-host of the Four Line podcast with Brandon Gallego. My brother's here. He is the vice president of On Your Sports. He's putting on a Jets hat because we're actually going to talk some Jets today, uh, unfortunately. But I, you know what? I have to cater to the crosstown rivals. I have to cater to the little brother. Uh, on occasion, how are you guys doing today? Doing fine. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Not bad. So let's start off the conversation with Jets, and then we'll get to uh, where we all meet in the center with the Yankees. What did you guys think of Salah's press conference? Luca, I know you covered it for all New York sports, and then I'll get CJ's thoughts after. Um, I liked what he had to say. It was it, from him – from his pet press conference to Gase's, it was night and day, clearly. I mean, if you watch it, you could say that Salah sounded professional. He sounded – he was very impressive. He sounded assertive. He wasn't making crazy eyes or anything like that. Um, I, I don't really have anything bad to say about it, honestly. He gave the right answers. CJ? Uh, similar to what Lucas said. I mean, it wasn't like a catastrophic disaster. The, the Gase um, press conference, that was pretty bad. But I thought, like, he sounded pretty professional. He looked pretty happy to be out there. Uh, so that's a, that's a good thing. And I, I, I liked what he had to say. Uh, he also announced the defensive coordinator hire in the uh, press conference. So I, I liked what he had to say, and I'm pretty excited to see how the season goes with him as the head coach now. Now, both of you, do you have faith in Joe Douglas regarding this whole uh, offseason? Um, yeah. I'll start off, and I, I'll say um, I do have faith in him. Obviously, what he did last offseason was a bunch of, like, unknowns because free agency wasn't great. You didn't really get any pieces out of that. Draft is some of some unknowns. Um, the fact that Christopher Johnson, the owner, allowed Joe Douglas and his staff to run the entire thing and make the final decisions was great. You, you have to let the football people make the football decisions. And I think they made a solid hire. Now we'll see if it pans out. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. I mean, because he let Douglas do the hiring. And I think Douglas made a great hire with this one. We just have to see how it works out. Uh, I, 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 we have a lot of cap space in free agency. So I'd like to see what we do with that. We have a lot of needs that we have to address. But I'm excited to see what Douglas would do with this. I know he likes to bring in, like, culture changers, like great people, um, good teammates. So we should, we should see what happens. Uh, let's just hope he spends it wisely and doesn't, like, overpay a ton of money. And let's hope he actually signs some guys as well. And you guys are expected to have a big number when it comes to the cap. But it's also, you know, you look online to, like, spot track and over the cap – those are not necessarily, you know, what the number is going to be. Those are predictions, and, you know, those are not necessarily accurate. But, again, you guys are projected to have a lot of cap space uh, this year, you know, 2021 free agency. So let's get into the next topic. What do you guys think? And I'm going to start with CJ on this one. Um, what are the chances, do you think, of Deshaun Watson coming to New York? What does it entail? And pretty much give us your thoughts. Uh, well, that is a good question. I honestly don't know how it's going to play out. I mean, there is a chance, I must say. I know, it, like, people are saying, oh, Watson wants to come to New York. Like, there's a lot of things circulating. Like, his brother's a Jets fan. He wanted to paint his car Jets green, all sorts of stuff like that. But 
if we could land a guy like that, I'd be thrilled. Uh, that it's easily like a top five, top ten quarterback in the league, and that I feel like if you add Watson, it would make the Jets like a lot more relevant. Similar to like the Buccaneers in a way when they added Tom Brady, they became a lot more relevant. If the Jets could do that with Watson, I think a similar situation would occur. Um, I mean, I I think there's a chance. I know it's like New York, big market, but. It depends what Joe Douglas wants to give up and what he wants to hold. Like, if he wants to hold the second pick, doesn't want to give it up, I most likely don't see Watson coming here. But I'd love to have him on the Jets. I think a lot of Jets fans would agree with that as well. Would you trade the second pick? Uh, well, I mean, the second pick, they Jets might use it for a quarterback anyway. But if it's for Deshaun Watson, I honestly think I would do it. But, again, it's still like a little bit of a tough decision. Houston's going to be bidding after that because I don't know when they actually have a second, a first round pick in the future because, you know, the, what was it? The Larry Tunsil trade and all the other trades they did. They didn't even get a first for Hopkins. They got David Johnson and a couple of guys. So that's stuff that Nick Casario is going to have to clean up in Houston. Um, yeah, pretty much. And uh, Luca, what are your thoughts on that? Um, it's, it's going to be interesting because number one, Deshaun Watson has not requested a trade yet. So the jets are, shouldn't be really talking to him because the player has not been made available. Although Craig Carton has said that the jets have talked to the Texans about Watson, seeing their due diligence. Um, it's going to depend on what we give up and what the, the opposing front office wants to do. I heard that three first rounders are needed probably for Deshaun Watson. And I would do that. I would also give up Sam Darnold because I hear that Tua Tagovailoa is not attractive to the Texans. But what? But the benefit of Deshaun Watson is the Jets are obviously easily relevant, and he's the face of the franchise easily. He's going to get he's gonna become real popular. But you have to build around him. You don't want to have him in a situation at post DeAndre Hopkins where he has a terrible offensive line and he has like a average receiving court. You have to get the weapons. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, like the the Jets do have a lot of money. I mean, people linking Allen Robinson to the Jets, that might happen as well. But the Jets need to make moves like on the offensive line and on the receiving core, especially build around Watson, give him some stuff to work with. I definitely agree with that. And um, I think at this point in the trade and on Uncut Sports News, we just came out with an article I forget who did it, actually. It was five spots. I think it was, his name was Keith Archer. Uh, if you guys, you know, are listening, go check it out. Five landing spots for Watson. And I think it comes down to two names. I think it's the Dolphins, and I think it's the Jets. Dolphins have the third pick. Jets have the second pick. And if they lose Watson, they're going to want a first-round pick to select the quarterback. And that's going to play into the factor of the Dolphins, you know, you know, if they don't want Tua as their future quarterback. Now, Flores says, you know, he's our guy. But a lot of coaches in the past have said, you know, he's our guy. But then, you know, they end up selecting another quarterback, trading for a quarterback. You know, that's how it happens in the NFL. The coaches don't tell you everything, which obviously is their privacy, and that's their right. But it's going to be interesting. Let's just say the Dolphins want him. And, you know, the Dolphins – uh excuse me, the Texans don't want Tua. So what do the Dolphins do? Just stick with dead weight and, you know, 
trade to us somewhere else. It's going to be interesting with that. And it's kind of the same thing with Darnold as well. I mean, I don't know what research they have done on Darnold, but he has damaged goods as of right now because of what Gase did to him in terms of not fitting him in the scheme and, you know, whatever the problems were. I'm not going to act like a Jets fan or someone that studies the Jets, but is Houston willing to take on damaged goods or a first-round quarterback like Tua, or they want a fresh start? That's going to be, you know, they still haven't picked out their head coach yet, which is kind of a little bit scary. Um, You know, Nick Sirianni went to Philly, and let's be honest, the Texans should have been searching a long time ago because, A, Bill O'Brien should have been fired. B, they were one of the first teams that said, okay, we're not bringing Romeo Crennel back. And, you know, a couple weeks later, they fire Peterson. Eagles fire Peterson. So, and the Eagles just hired their coach. So how did they get a jump start? It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me in that form. Um, Obviously, some Texan fans, and I'm not going to, you know, scout the Texan fan base, they have a lot of faith, or at least, you know, some of them do in Nick Casario because he comes from New England. But my point is, you're one of the first teams to look for a coach. You're the last team to look for a coach. Are you weighing it down? Because Dable already said he's staying in Buffalo. What else is on the market? Jason Garrett, uh, not too good. Eric you know, obviously, Enemy. Eric Bieniemy. Uh, he's got some red flags from the past. That's why teams aren't really taking chances on him. What else? Uh, I believe the if, Eagles uh, interviewed Joe Brady, if I'm not wrong. Joe Brady, yeah. I don't know what everybody's obsession is without him. Um, I mean, with him, I excuse me, because, like, they had, like, middle of the pack 21st offense, something like that last year. I don't know. It, just to me that, A, you know, let him get into the game a little more and become a coordinator and then become a head coach – then just hire a 31-year-old as your head coach. It just doesn't seem fitting. In Philly, they would tear him up. But for Houston, I'm not sure what they're going to do. And to be honest here, and we'll go on to the next subject in a minute, I get the Sean Watson situation. I get it that he is being paid so many millions of dollars a year now. But there is no way, and everybody in the league, you know, has had situations where their team is so dysfunctional, you know, Jags, Jets, whatever. Why is a player, in my opinion, deciding who is the next head coach? I think he wants to leave anyway. I'll I'll let you finish in just a second. He wants to leave anyway. So why are we, you know, why are you letting him be in the conversation for the head coach? If anything, Deshaun Watson – you know, maybe, maybe not keeping his mouth shut. I don't know what, you know, his frustrations are. But if anything, the head coach or any candidate should look at it and say, you know what, the one thing good about the Houston Texans is Deshaun Watson. He's a franchise QB, and when Nick Casario is GM, we can build around him. So I think that's the way you have to look at it. And, you know, J.J. Watt's been there for years. Has he requested a trade? No. He's sad about all the losing. He's been there with O'Brien. He fought with O'Brien. You know, he let a team revolt against O'Brien in the whole organization. So I don't really, you know, that's just my opinion on the subject. And as I said, besides my opinion that I just stated, I think Watson has every right to get out of there. You were saying, I completely Luca. agree. And um, I think he was promised that, I think ownership and the front office altogether promised him that they were gonna, he was going to 
help look for the GM, help look for the coach. But I, from what I know, he's unhappy with the ownership in Cal McNair. And I think it's something with a minority head coach that he'd rather hire and have helped them hire. But I don't know. The enemy certainly has his red flags. I guess they kind of see through that. But it's interesting. Depends. I mean, I don't even know who their narrowed candidates are. It just seems really interesting to me. Like, I mean, they probably have one of the worst situations, if not the worst in the NFL. The Eagles is definitely a bad one because, A, you live in Philly. I mean, that's not really – or at least your team is based in Philly. You know, that's not a good thing. And they're pretty much, I think, the second to last team when it comes to cap space. And as I said earlier, you know, these predictions are not always going to be on par. But they have, and I looked at it on overthecap.com with all their, you know, contracts. There's only like two players they can cut for a significant amount of money to save and not resulting in dead cap money. So they have a, a lot to, you know, go over there. I haven't looked at the Texans yet. But, uh, yeah, Texans probably one of the worst situations, especially once Deshaun Watson is gone. Yeah, you get, you know, first, second, whatever overall pick but you still have to start the rebuilding process. They signed Benedrick McKinney or one of the other linebackers. Um, one of the linebackers, either Cunningham or McKinney to a large contract. Was, yeah, are they going to ship him out now? I mean, you know, just a really tricky situation. And the Jets can take advantage Larry of Tunsil. that. They also, yeah, Laramie Tunsil. And yeah, will, Tunsil. They, will they draft the left tackle? Will they do this? It's really – interesting situation that you know i want to actually or i was thinking about the other day and i don't know if he's up to it uh, me and jordan were actually having a conversation i said look you know my big blue in the bronx podcast is good and all but i want to start something where i could talk nfl and we can have you know a large conversation about it like once a week so i mean obviously he's not fully committed yet because he's going to binghamton soon so i have to probably find a partner for that or you know at least get the site running and find a partner inside or outside for that, but I'd be willing to do it with anyone who is up for it. Um, any final thoughts before we move to the next subject? Texans, Dolphins, you know, any other final thoughts? Yeah, I, I also CJ like – something to say. Yeah, with the Dolphins, I find it, like, very weird that they're considering, like, giving up Tua at this point. Well, like, it, it's, it was speculated, though, that the Texans didn't want him in a possible trade. I don't get why you would give up on a first-year guy like that. I think you, I think the Dolphins should like keep him around and let him grow. I mean, he was I believe he was injured for a decent part of the season, and then Ryan Fitzpatrick was like hot all season, so that's pretty much why they were rolling with him. But I don't think they're gonna put Fitzpatrick out there all season next year. I think they should keep Tua around and let let him see how he does over like the next two years, and then eventually make a decision because he has weapons around him. I mean, that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse that you'd have nothing around him. He has Devontae Parker. Miles Gaskin, he has a lot of good players around him. I just have to see what the Dolphins could possibly do with that. I think two factors could play into the Dolphins, and I'm going to say this. I think that they were going for more of a winning game, you know, mentality. And obviously, you know, you like to win games. That's the point of playing sports. I think they were trying to do that. And I think they were, I think, in my opinion, at the wrong time, they were trying to do that. Because, yes, they were in the wild card race. Yes, till the Bills won the division, they were still sort of in it. But you also have, you know, the ultimate tank for Tua the year before 
And now that you have him, you know, let him go through his rookie struggles. And the other thing that's going to portray into that, Miami's going to have its third offensive coordinator in three years, and you have a rookie quarterback. So, you know, it's one thing to be an organization that has, like, a linebacker's coach get out after a year or something like that. But when you're changing offensive systems, if they are, but they had Chad O'Shea last year, they had Chan Gailey this year, and they got to go find somebody else this year, which will play into, you know, to his play this year. Does it better fit him or something like that? Uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting this season, and they're probably going to be in it as long as, you know, they have the talent and they have the winning mentality, along with the Bills and maybe along with the Jets if Watson does go to Miami. So let's get into one subject that I'm just still not necessarily, uh, I would say, understandable about. Tank talk. You guys ultimately rooted for the tank this year. CJ, when did you start rooting for the tank? Because I know when it happened to Luca, And what made you start wanting to lose? And did somebody influence you? Did somebody, you know, was it just a feeling inside or were you just corresponding with the Jets fan base? Uh, well, it was kind of both. I mean, I kind of like after that Patriots game when we lost on the walk-off field goal, I'm like, all right, well, we just blew the game. Let's just tank the rest of the season who cares at this point because and then i'm watching trevor lawrence ball out in college and i'm like we have a legitimate shot at grabbing this guy in the draft and sam Darnold was i believe he was injured at the time i believe flacco was the quarterback in that game we had a legitimate shot at trevor lawrence at the time and i was like you know what if this team continues to lose and we grab one of the best prospects highly touted prospects in recent time we could be we could end up being pretty good a few years down the line so i'm like there's no reason to win meaningless games at that point in the year. I mean, I believe we were like 0-5, 0-6 at the time anyway. We weren't going anywhere. So I was like, you know what? We could just – there's no point in winning the meaningless games. Might as well just tank for the future and then be good a few years from now. That's, that was, those were my initial thoughts. And then my, my dad was kind of a big tank person as well. I mean, he's been a Jets fan for so long. And he was like, you know what? Let, let the team tank at this point. <laughs> But wouldn't you want to win games for your young players that are going to be around next year, like a Quinn and Williams, like a Makai Becton? I, I remember what Makai Becton said the day after the loss or the, you know, the day of the – or not loss, but loss for you guys because you wanted to tank but a win. And I remember what he said. And then uh, I forget what Luca said about it because I remember I was going to get my senior pictures that day. Or the, you know, I don't know. Um, Luca, what did Makai Becton say about the loss and what did you feel about it? He kind of took a shot at the fans for uh, wanting them to lose and whatnot, but that's never the right optic. I understand that the players want to win, and they should want to win. They should have that hunger, but it's kind of amateur hour if you call out the uh, call out your own fan base. I mean, I know I understand your point, Alex, but with the whole tanking thing, as as we've all debated all season, but. Sam Darnold's – we all had to face the reality. Some people don't accept this reality that Sam Darnold is damaged goods. And you've got to get the best prospect or the best quarterback available. No more settling. But ultimately, we have to settle now. And I'm not sure if um, – I'm not sure if winning games late in the season, like meaningless wins, sets a good culture. Because you know the head coach is not going to be around next year. Most of the, some of the players are not going to be around next year. You lost 13 games in a row. 
So, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of meaningless to win a game at that point. I mean, <laughs> there's really no meaning at all. Does anybody acknowledge that with his hairdo, CJ looks like a Garrett Cole? <laughs> and he's got the Yankee hat on. He's got the, the, the side hairdo. And we'll be getting into that very shortly about the Yankees. Um, I know this might seem like a boring topic, but let's get from a crosstown perspective, or at least for me because I'm a Giants fan, to now grading the positions and who is better. So quarterback, I'm going to say the Giants are better at quarterback. You guys say the same? Yeah. yeah. Running back. The Giants. Uh, even without Saquon Barkley, I think the Giants had a better rushing game. Yeah, um, I agree. Wide receivers, I think the Giants are better there, honestly. I mean, we're talking about agree. two of the bottom offenses in the league. And, you know, I guess, you know, there's different reasons as to why our offenses didn't succeed. Play calling, weapons, whatever you want to call it. Um, tight ends. I mean, we got Ingram. He made a Pro Bowl, but he did he really deserve it though? I don't think he did. But that's such a that's such a like deadlock though, because Ingram is like the Gary Sanchez of football. He shows <laughs> great moments, but then he just makes the stupidest mistakes. Like he made he dropped so many passes this year, and then some of those passes led to interceptions. Chris Herndon, I think, is a result. Chris Herndon's down year was a result of the offense he was put in it's not necessarily tight end friendly but luckily he's going to be heading into Mike LaFleur's West Coast scheme that is very friendly tight ends just like it was to George Kittle yeah I'm a I'm a confident believer in Herndon coming in the next and people are like oh we should go sign Hunter Henry I'm like well I mean he might be overpriced anyway but Chris Herndon I, I think he could bounce back this year we saw what he did in 20 what was that, 2017, 18, 2018 with Bowles in the system. And he, he was like Sam Donald's favorite target at the time. And then he, obviously he was suspended and injured, pretty much hardly played last season under Gase, and then didn't really do much this year. But if you put him in LaFleur's system, I think he could succeed. But again, with Ingram, I mean, if he didn't drop that pass against the Eagles, the Giants probably would have made the playoffs. But I honestly, and then on – in an unbiased perspective, I think we would have had a better chance against uh, excuse me, against Tampa Bay than Washington did. Honestly, even with Alex Smith, because I feel like Alex Smith, you know, he's not 100% and he's not mobile. They're going to be coming after him, you know, how many times? And the Bucks almost lost that game. But do you guys, you guys actually have um, confidence in Herndon but how did Ryan Griffin do this year? I forget. Pretty much was, non-existent. Yeah, same, same thing with Herndon. They were literally non-existent. <laughs> you hardly saw them. It's probably because the non-friendly tight end scheme you guys were just talking about. Offensive line. Now, it may seem like an obvious that, oh, maybe the Jets have a better offensive line. Um, because they gave up less sacks, obviously. The Giants gave up, I believe, the second or third most sacks in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But – my question is, talk about talent. Talk about what pieces you actually have moving forward and pieces that worked out. Because looking at the stats is not just going to save you for an argument. For me, my argument on why the Giants could be a better offensive line is that, A, you got a couple of solid pieces. Thomas is, you know, he finished out the season very well. Uh, did well against the Cowboys. He did well against 
Miles Garrett until the last 43 seconds. But again, it was 20 to six in that point in the game. Um, Shane Lemieux, he's going to obviously grow, take time, obviously, because he's a fifth round pick. Matt Parrott, another one. Um, Kevin Zeitler, maybe. Nick Gates, obviously, was one of the most con- more consistent linemen. Uh, but for you guys, obviously, again, the stats are on your side. Makai Becton being one of the better tackles in the draft class. Um, what other pieces do you guys have? I mean, I know your offensive line. I know who, know who the players are, but I want to get a Jets perspective on that and, you know, what you guys think. Because I know a lot of people are complaining about Connor McGovern this season. Yeah, I mean, I think with – oh, wait, you could go, Luca. Oh, all right. I was going to let you go, but anyway. <laughs> um, McGovern was pretty disappointing because I saw the PFF rankings and all that, 11th best center of the NFL from 2019. I'm like, I was excited to sign him because he was actually good last in 2019. But it's just, I think he did struggle, and I thought he was disappointing. I definitely, he was like, okay, but it's definitely, he got overpaid. He definitely got overpaid. Um, Fant... I say that's an overpay, but he wasn't terrible. He was actually solid. He was my he was one of my worries. Um, Alex Lewis is probably going to be a goner. Greg Van Roan should be gone as well because he was terrible as well. And, yeah, that's that. CJ, what are your thoughts? Well, obviously, big number 77 behind me was the key piece of that offensive line and the key piece going forward. But, I mean, another guy who kind of stood out to me, I thought Pat Elfline looked kind of decent near the end. I didn't think he was terrible. Uh, as you said, though, Greg Van Roten kind of was disappointing. I mean, he got a little better near the end, but you really, he really wasn't what we expected him to be. McGovern wasn't the best either. And then you had Connor McDermott, who really wasn't that good either. He was kind of like a turnstile. But George Fant, he wasn't bad. I believe he has the second-year option on the contract if I'm not wrong. And I think the Jets should consider that. I mean, he was not bad. I, I thought he got better as the year went on. I thought the offensive line got better as the season went forward. I mean, it really didn't look too good in that last game versus the Patriots, if you ask me, with especially with Becton going down with an injury. But moving forward, though, I think we should draft some more pieces, more younger pieces on the line, get a little better, and build around Becton, obviously, because he's like the crown jewel of the offensive line at the moment. Built, put some guys around him, and for whoever our new quarterback is, don't make the same mistake we did with Sam. We need to have a good offensive line for our new quarterback, whether it's Deshaun Watson, whether it's Zach Wilson, Fields, anybody. We need to continue to build up the offensive line, make it a little better, because some guys disappointed last season. So what you're telling me is that your tackles are pretty much good, but you guys need to draft on the interior or at least go get someone on the interior. I know Joe Tooney yes. from the Patriots is a free agent, and he's probably going to be commanding some big money, Brennan Scherf. Um, I mean, the cap number projection, is it like 170-something? Or I don't know what number it is at the Jets. Um, but if you could get one of those two guys, I think that definitely would work to your advantage. If you bring – I don't know if he's a free agent, Pout. Pat Fline or whatever his name is, the guys you were just talking about. Um, if you bring him back, maybe if he's a free agent, as I said, on like a veteran minimum deal, probably, you know, you guys can start forming a future offensive line. Um, but question for the both of you, and I'll go with Luca first. Get to Sean Watson. You trade away pick number two. Are you focusing – and obviously, it goes with the draft flow. 
are you focusing on a running back or an offensive lineman or what position are you focusing on with the Seattle pick? Um, I would honestly, I would, I would, I would take a wide receiver or an offensive guard because let's, let's plan this out. So in, in the NFL today, the running backs usually mirror, usually are a product of their offensive line. So it could be, you could have Travis Etienne and have a terrible offensive line and he might downfall. So like we next season could probably sign like a veteran running back like Jamal Williams. Uh, we could have P Ryan. We could have Mike, um, what's his name? Ty Johnson and have a good offensive line. And they still can produce as long as the offensive coordinator and the offensive coaching staff maximizes their talent. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that as well. I believe we need some room, uh, some pieces on the offensive line help build that as well because the running back really won't succeed without a good offensive line. So I think we should build up the offensive line with the Seattle pick, even if we trade the number two. People are like, oh, we should draft Sewell at number two, stick with Sam. I don't agree with that personally, but I think we should draft like some interior guys later, in the, especially in that first round, and then maybe draft a wide receiver or cornerback, something in the second round. Now, um, this is another debated topic because of Quinn and Williams and all the guys that, uh, you know, you guys potentially could have as, you know, good talent pieces. Defensive line, what do you guys have to say on that? Because I have my excuses, but I'll let you guys go first. Well, I mean, I really don't. I really didn't think the defensive line was all that bad last season. I mean, Quinnen Williams was especially the big standout for the Jets. Looked really good up until I believe he had a concussion near the end, and I, that's what kind of knocked him out for the last game or so of the season. I think we, I think our defensive line is all right. I mean, John Franklin Myers, I believe he was ranked pretty high. I, I thought he looked good this season. Fadakasi didn't look bad. Terrell Basham didn't look bad as well. I think if you – let the defensive line grow a little more, stick with some pretty much most of the same guys. I think the defensive line could succeed again next season. I was very impressed by what I, from what I saw this season, especially with Quinton Williams. I mean, people were doubting him coming into this year because he didn't have that big of a rookie season, but he really stood out and had a bit of a breakout year in 2020. So I think the Jets defensive line is not bad at all. I think it's pretty solid, and I think we should kind of stick with some of these pieces moving forward. Luca? Um, I think the defensive line was better towards the tail end of last season. Um, like guys like Foley Fadakasi, Nathan Shepard, Bryce Huff, Franklin Myers. I think Franklin Myers and Huff can maybe be start maybe be starters, not sure, but they could also be alongside Fadakasi and Shepard some rotational pieces. So I'm confident in our defensive line. I'm going to say that the Giants' defensive line is better. I know that that was really the core part of your defense last year, or at least one of the positive parts. I know the secondary for the Jets wasn't the greatest, especially with the depth you guys had. Um, Leonard Williams, the way he was schemed, 11 and a half sacks, arguably should have made a Pro Bowl. Um, probably more deserving than he was in 2016 of that Pro Bowl, but you know what? It's a different topic. Uh, Dexter Lawrence, all those guys. And I explain it to people all the time for, you know what? It could be pass rush. You know what? Fine. Leonard Williams, 11 and a half sacks. Uh, Dexter Lawrence had like four. Dalvin Tomlinson had three and a half. 
But when it comes to the run game, you can't just have good defensive linemen. You need good linebackers. And I think that's what the Giants had this season. Whether it was the outside linebackers or Blake Martinez on the inside, you need linebackers. Because Giants fans were talking about 2019, all the, you know, the potential of this defensive line. What linebackers do we have? We had Ogletree, which you guys got to experience a taste of this season. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Except that you guys didn't pay much for him. I think he was a practice squad signing, and then you guys uploaded him for a couple of games. But, yeah. you know, he was with a big contract with the Giants. And we'll actually explain that on Monday or actually Tuesday when Jordan comes on because we're going to actually talk about the Gettleman tenure and what moves worked out, what moves did not work out. Um, but my point in that is, you know, Giants fans were saying that in 2019, all the defensive line, the potential. We didn't have good linebackers. That's why our run game wasn't very, you know, good on the defensive end. It got better as the season went on with Leonard Williams being the addition. But in total, it wasn't that good. I mean, the last couple of games, um, I don't think Washington did a lot against us. And then Philly, the last game, I think they had some backups play, even though they were trying to uh, go to the playoffs. And I think my Boston Scott was one of them. A couple other guys played, and they just destroyed us on the ground, as well as in the passing game. So defensive line, I'll stick to the Giants there, not by much, but it depends obviously on next season. This is coming out of 2020. Uh, for linebackers, where do you guys say on that? I think the Giants are better. From last, from 2020, I'm going to say the Giants are better. But it's going to be interesting with C.J. Mosley coming back. C.J. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that as well. I, I do believe, though – that the Giants were the better linebackers in 20. I actually like that. I like that water bottle you got there, Alex. But I <laughs> I think that with the addition of Mosley next season, it would make it a little bit better. I'd love to see how that fares, considering we saw Mosley for one and a half games in total over the last two seasons. I'd like to see how that plays out. And But personally, at the moment, I think the Giants had the better linebacking core in 2020. 2020. Oh, excuse me, 2021, maybe it'll change. But as of right now, I think the Giants have the better linebacker core. Um, next one is cornerbacks. I'll go into safeties after that. Safeties is a tough one, but, again, we'll get to that. Cornerbacks, I think the Giants personally are better. James Bradbury, if you mix in Julian Love, yeah, maybe. But I think that the Jets, they didn't have any stars there. A lot of – the cornerback struggled, got injured from what I saw, at least. Lamar Jackson was one of them. Um, bless Austin. Yeah. He didn't do as good, I think, as last year. Again, I watched a couple of the Jets games, so I could probably see that. I don't know what other starting corners you had. Pierre Desir uh, was oh. very bad at the point of the season, beginning point of the season. And you guys ended up cutting him, but also naming him your Walter Payton Man of the Year. Uh that whole situation was stupid. That's as bad but, as Jets as it gets right there. Naming a guy who's not even on the team for an award. But, oh, my God. <laughs> what do you guys have to say on the secondary? Well, I mean, I personally think we should re-sign Marcus May, especially in, this, in the safety position. I didn't think the safeties were too bad. I mean, Ashton Davis, he needs uh, room to work. But, again, we have a lot of young guys out there. I mean, we had – uh, Austin, um, I'm trying. I just drew a blank on. I I just forgot whose name I was thinking. Oh, Bryce Hall. 
I just drew a blank on that. He kind of stood out to me as well. He had the nice little interception against the Rams that game. I think he's going to – I think I thought he was a steal in that draft, and I think he's going to be a vital piece of the defense moving forward. Bless Austin. He could use some room to work. So can Lamar Jackson. Obviously, Lamar Jackson got torched for that um, game-winning touchdown against the Raiders. That's pretty much an infamous moment in Jets history at the moment. But – Personally, I think the Giants have a better secondary, especially with guys like James Bradbury anchoring it. James Bradbury was awesome in 2020. And I think the Jets, though, it's just the younger guys need some more experience and some more growth, and I think they'll get better as time goes on. Do you think the Jets should pursue a number one corner in free agency? I, I don't know. That's kind of I, – I personally think we should. I personally think we should draft someone as well kind of help out, well, take a bit of a workload off of the guys like Lamar Jackson, for example, I would be okay with the corner signing. I would also like a corner draftee if we can't sign somebody. But, again, that's up to Joe Douglas. Luca, what do you have to say? I've never really had signing a corner for agency in mind. I think we should draft a corner in the mid-rounds and maybe stick with Bryce Hall on the uh, on one of the sides of the field. But – could the Jets re-sign Brian Poole? I'd be in favor of that. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about Poole for a second because he was out for most of the season. I liked him. I mean, he's a good slot corner. I, I think we should uh, bring him back next season. Same with, obviously, Marcus May, but you never know. I'd, I'd, I'd be a fan of bringing back Poole, though. So next on to the safeties. Uh, this one could be cut and clear, but also not cut and clear because – Xavier McKinney has, you know, especially last game against the Cowboys, did really well, including an interception. Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, Julian Love, I mean, not really, but also the Jets have Marcus May. They did have Jamal Adams at one point, but uh, he went to Seattle. Uh, it'd be funny as hell, though, if the Seattle Seahawks hired Gase and they're on the same team again. <laughs> I mean, That would be awesome. I mean, the whole reason – Adams wanted to get away from here was because he wanted to get away from Gase. And imagine he just follows him to Seattle. <laughs> that'd be that'd be funny as hell. Um, but what do you? How do you guys feel about the safety position? And wasn't Bradley McDougal a safety? I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, he got injured. Uh, he wasn't very impressive in his health when he was healthy. He wasn't the most impressive. But I'm a big fan of Marcus May. I think that should be a very huge priority in the offseason to bring back Marcus May. I thought he stood out and especially made great plays near the end of games. I mean, he had a nice pass breakup against the Rams and at the end against the uh, Raiders at the end. He's been making big plays all season, and I think that we should bring him back. Uh, I feel like he's proved himself enough in order to stay here. I mean, I think he's benefited even more from the absence of Jamal Adams in that safety core, I think Ashton Davis can use some work. I mean, he is still young. He's still – he was a rookie this year. Didn't really play too much. But I think, he, again, he's another guy who, who needs to grow and develop. Same, same with the cornerbacks. But the safeties, I mean, I, you bring back May, and it's not that bad, and let the young guys grow. So that's what I think we should personally do. Let the young guys grow and keep May around for sure. Luke, I, I envision that you share the same feeling. I do share the same feeling. Um, I think probably the Giants are a little bit better, but yeah. 
it's gonna see it's gonna be interesting to see how Ashton Davis grows. But definitely priority this offseason is re-signing Marcus May. That's it. Definitely a factor in the Leonard Williams trade. See who won because Davis, I think, was used with that pick, the third rounder yeah, at least. He was with that third so, rounder. It's gonna be interesting. Uh let's go to kicker. This is I think Graham Gano is better. Yeah. But punter draft one this I'm not I'm not kidding when I say this. We should draft one. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> We've had a quite a bit of kickers this season. I mean, we had Castillo. Last two years, really. I mean, you had – I think it's ever since you guys let Jason Myers go. You had Kari exactly. Vedvik. Then you oh, had God, Sam Ficken. Don't even remind me. <laughs> then you had uh, – what's his name? Sergio Castillo that did good and then missed like three field goals in one game. What was that against the Seahawks? <laughs> yeah. But then people also forget we had Chandler Catanzaro back in the free – in uh, the preseason of last year. Oh, my yep. God. Yeah, I remember that. He missed two extra points against the Giants and then decided to retire and then came out of retirement to sign with the Giants and then probably went back to retire um, when they signed yeah, Gano. I was at that game when he missed those two extra points. I'm like, what is going on here? But personally, I think the Giants have better. I mean, Graham Gano is yeah. a beast, and then you, the Jets just had a carousel of kickers. I believe we had Chase McLaughlin in the last game of the season, if I'm not yeah. wrong. And – Obviously, one better is kicker than having three in the same season, so I'll hand that one to the Giants. Um, punter. Now, I don't know how Braden Mann did. I know he's a rookie or was. MVP. Riley Dixon did not do that well this season. And I would, you know, I've been talking a lot with, like, content creators and stuff for the Giants that he could be, you know, possibly cut because, A, you save a free $2.6 million when you cut him. And he didn't do that well. And you could get a punter like Jordan Berry or Pat O'Donnell on the market. And just that whole return team wasn't that great this year. So how did Braden Mann do? And I'd probably give that to the Jets. Uh, I'm a big fan of Braden Mann. I think he was the team MVP. <laughs> uh, generally, well, that's kind of a joke. But I thought he was pretty good for a rookie punter. Definitely better than Lachlan Edwards near the end of his tenure in New York. Uh, actually, one of my friends bought a Braden Man jersey. I still don't understand why, but it is what it is. But I, I, I personally like the way Braden Man played this year. I mean, he was he had like two, one or two like terrible punts, and then outside of that, I didn't think he was bad. I mean, definitely exceeded expectations for a rookie punter, in my opinion. Luca, I would say you say the same, maybe. I personally think he was probably like around average because he was like twenty third in punt yardage or whatever, but. I give the advantage to the Jets. I would the one too. advantage we have, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably unless you consider O line an advantage, but again, it all comes down to pieces, not just the stats. How about special teams? Just like as a whole entire group. Because we had towards the end of the season, you know, it was just bad. I mean, the return game, yeah, it was good with Jabril Peppers. But we gave off a 107-yard kick return touchdown. We um, – a couple of punt returns weren't that necessarily great when it came to coverage. How did you guys envision your special teams? I didn't think they were bad. I'm, I mean, the defensive part, I mean, you had players miss tackles all over the place in the beginning games of the season. But I don't even think we allowed, like, a punt return touchdown, if I'm not wrong. But, again, the, the kick returning and punt returning really was not good. I mean, you have Berrios 
take uh, handling kicks inside the 10 yard line. And when it's inside the 10 years, or just let it go. I don't know what the heck he was thinking on those. And then our punt return team really isn't great. Neither is the kick returns. I mean, when we, when we actually bring them out, we literally just get like 20, 25 yards. It's literally just Madden. You just, just take the touchback and just let it go instead of just running out 25 yards for no reason and not gaining anything. Luke, I suggest you would say the same. Personally, I really don't have an opinion of the special teams. Like, it wasn't really a factor this season, unless you're counting, you know, kicker and punter. But in terms of return game, it wasn't much of anything. Yeah, I didn't think it was, like, that bad. I don't know which game this was, but I'm going to make a guess. Didn't Sam Ficken, or whatever your kicker was at that time, I think it was Ficken, or it was Castillo, I don't remember. Didn't one of those kickers kick the kickoff out of bounds before the Raiders went on to score? Or am I thinking of a different game? I think you're right. I mean, I, I think you're, you're right. You're probably right. You're probably I, right. It, it probably – I think it was Castillo if I'm not – or was it Ficken? I don't remember. I remember Ficken came back from one game from injury and then just went back on the injured reserve. But I think you're right about that. It's an odd kind of thing to remember. It is. Um, while, while we were setting up a new meeting, and we were talking about this earlier regarding head coaching hires, uh, Josh McCown is interviewing for the Texans job. I mean, you can't get much more of a joke than you can that. Deshaun Watson, you could just might as well leave. I mean, the At man isn't point- cut out to be a freaking head coach first year out of his career that's like Eli being a head coach <laughs> I mean um I mean I've had stupid things said to me before I've had stupid friends say stupid stuff I mean what was it in 2019 before free agency one of my Giants fans friends and Luca knows this said that Eli is probably a better running back than Le'Veon Bell <laughs> I mean <laughs> is he right when you compare I don't know um I thought it was pretty funny but Come on, Josh McCown. There's so many more qualified people out there. Why haven't they interviewed, and I don't know if they did, Don Martindale? He's a good I candidate. Know. I think personally, in my opinion, let's just say for some reason they kept Watson. For some reason. Now, they probably won't. But let's just say for some reason they do. Mm-hmm. I think you need a defensive head coach. Because their a- defense is incredibly bad against the run and that stuff. And – you know, the Texans are in hell when it comes to targets and stuff. So you may need an offensive guy for that just to, like, scheme it up with the lack of talent they have. But you definitely do need a defensive guy when it comes to coordinating or when it comes to being a head coach. CJ, you were saying? Yeah, I have a question. I don't know if you guys know, but who is conducting the head coaching hire for Houston? Is it the ownership or Casarero? I think it's Casario and ownership. Cause and I, know I think that... Jack Easterby as well, who's like an executive yeah, because I know their ownership is oh dismal over there. I think it's even worse than our ownership, but that says a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that does say a lot. But that if their ownership is like a majority of that head coaching search, well, is monitoring a majority of the head coaching search, that kind of explains the Josh McCown interview situation because their ownership is horrible. I mean, Bill, well, especially when they had Hold Bill on, O'Brien. Guys, I got something for you. Yeah, Patriots are bringing back Matt Patricia. Oh, no. You oh, for real? my God. 
He's going to work, though. People don't – as defensive coordinator? He's going to assist the coaching staff in a variety of roles. He's going to be defensive coordinator. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh. oh he's going to work. Somehow he's going to work. Somehow. Because it's Bill so Belichick. He, it's, it's Bill, Bill Belichick. Belichick. He could you know, bring in Adam Gase and make him work at this point. <laughs> speaking of which, you, you guys heard about O'Brien at Alabama. Yes. Yeah. I feel bad for quarterbacks over there. I really I do. I feel bad for quarterbacks over there as well. <laughs> oh, my God. We're talking about freaking Josh McCown. You know what? That doesn't surprise me. Maybe we're just overreacting as a first reaction, but we'll yeah. see how it happens. But they obviously Anyways, need talent um, on the offensive side of the say? ball. I, just I, lo- I lo- love Ian Josh McCown. Saying love Josh that. McCown. I just read a tweet from Ian Rappaport saying that Patricia might be evaluating personnel. Oh. Oh, God. Oh, boy. See, when you say defensive assistant, you could say, oh, you know, he's good in that when he's a coordinator for New England. Evaluating talent. They haven't been able to do that for the past five years. What makes you think they could do it now? Come on. That's a good point. That is a good point. Imagine if he was a front office assistant. Oh, God. They'd be the next Texans. Oh, goodness. Should have just kept Casario. Oh, my Lord. That's that's pretty bad. Evaluating but... personnel. Yeah, he's going to grab every Detroit guy out there. Every oh, person, every player that went to Detroit from New England. No, we're, we're bringing you back. Speaking oh, of uh, Detroit, did any of you guys see that head coaching interview yesterday with the new head coach? Yeah, he's like... basically Joe Judge <laughs> 2.0. <laughs> I, I, I personally loved that. I saw it on TV yesterday. I thought that was pretty He was a tight end for the Giants the first part of his career, actually, from 99 to 02. Oh, really? Yeah. And then he was actually with the Lions for a while, I think uh, his third time around, I want to say, or his third team. Mm-hmm. And I think he was with the Saints for a little bit, probably why he was an assistant in New Orleans. Uh, but to be honest there is Campbell going to be a good head coach. I don't know. He was five and seven as an intern with Miami in 2015, but is the talent there? It's really not. What is Campbell an offensive guy? Probably because he was tight end, but I think they need somebody defensive or at least a good defensive coordinator. Because their defense was a mess last season. Defense um, again, they don't have a lot of talent on that side of the ball, in my opinion, or at least from what I see. But yeah, I mean, their offense wasn't bad. I mean, Galladay was out for most of the year. I mean, Marvin Jones was a decent option. He's yeah, a DeAndre free agent. Swift. I don't see them. They might just draft a wide receiver. Honestly, they might get Devonta Smith or at least first dibs. Imagine, and then I mean, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're going to roll with Stafford next season. I don't know what they're going to do there, but it is what it is. People were talking about, and I told Luca this a couple of weeks ago, whether Jerry Reese, and obviously they hired the GM, I think, already, um, Detroit, and they were, fans were talking about Jerry Reese, and they're like, oh, uh, you know, he should get a second chance in Detroit. And I said, what makes you think, if he couldn't build around Eli, what makes you think he's going to build around Stafford? I mean, come on. Exactly. Let's think about that for about 30 seconds. But Stafford, I think he's just done in Detroit, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think it's nearing the end. I think you could get him for like, what, a third or fourth, something like that. I mean, I don't mean to put the stakes so low for him, but like, look what he's been around. So He hasn't been um, surrounded with anything, really. No, he really hasn't, unfortunately, and uh, <laughs> that's just the way it is. But let's shift into Yankees, a different type of sport, different type of team where we all meet in the center. CJ, 
I already saw it in the doc, but to present to the people viewing this, major point, or at least some of the major points of concern for the Yankees this upcoming season and why. Uh, well, I, I still believe there is a few, um, especially the bullpen. The bullpen really wasn't super reliable last season, and we really didn't get any bull- We didn't get anything in the bullpen if you include Nestor Cortez as your one signing. We haven't done anything to fix the bullpen, and that is something we need to address very quickly. I know Brad Hand is still on the market. That might be a good signing. I believe he's still on the market. I don't think he signed with the Mets. I think that would be a good signing for the Yankees to get some more help in that bullpen because obviously Chapman blew the, blew the ALDS, is known for blowing games. Britain took a step up last season, and we're without Canely this season as well. I mean, he was going to be I out anyway, him. I think. I I'm going to. I miss him already, man. He was one of my favorite players. And then you had Chad Green. I mean, I think the bullpen He's on and is, off. Yeah, he's Chad on and Green. off. 2016, I mean, bad. 2017, 2018, 2019, good. 2020, he sucks. What are we going to have yeah, another he, sucky year? Is this add up again? Yeah, exactly. Like, he comes out against the Mets, gives up four home runs in an inning, and then goes and throws like four. Adovino was really six. disappointing last year. I've had enough of Adovino at this point, especially after that 10-run inning against Toronto. I was oh like, oh, my, my goodness. God. I yeah, hated I, that. <laughs> yeah, I won't – I never want to relive the uh, frustration I felt during that game, but – I really don't think Adovino is working anymore, and I'm super disappointed that this is how it's working out. But I'm happy we brought back Britain on the option this season. That is good because Britain performed very well last season. So that is definitely a reason to be concerned with the Yankees' bullpen. And also another thing is obviously injuries. Injuries have killed this team, especially last season when we were on like a downward spiral. We were without Stanton. We were without Judge. I believe we were at LeMahieu and that span as well. The Yankees offense, especially, we need to get those bats in the lineup, and especially in the field. I mean, Aaron Judge, Stanton, we need these guys in the lineup, and they have to stay healthy this season. And one last thing that I think is a concern is when the batting order goes cold. I mean, you saw it last season at a point where we were scoring, like zero, one, two, three runs a game because nobody was hitting the ball outside of DJ LeMahieu. You have guys coming up swinging for home runs every time, and they just strike out. For example, Luke Voigt, Stanton, they strike out a lot. And that is an issue. I think the Yankees need to just hit the ball just for hits, not try to swing for a 400-foot home run, and then the lineup goes cold because nobody can hit the ball. So I think those are some concerning issues heading into 2021 and some things that need to be fixed in order for this team to succeed next season. Luca, uh, your points of concern? I'm pretty much where CJ is. I'm pretty much echoing his concerns. But, yeah, I, I just have also a concern with the long relievers. Like, you have Luis Sessa. You all you have Jonathan Luizaga. You have, I think you have too many young guys. You got to get Let me get an air there. sickness bag. <laughs> I mean, some of these guys aren't really They're the not answer, fit, especially – yeah, um, not at all. For my concerns, obviously the bullpen. And it's not just because, oh, they weren't reliable last year, which is a point to make. But some of these guys are not fits for being long relievers. Some guys aren't fits to be that guy when they have those stupid friggin' bullpen days. Uh, the okay. Wiseguy, I mean, he didn't do bad last year. Michael King, I don't like him at all. I don't think he's a fit. Um, reminds me of Chance Adams, actually. 
Oh, um, yeah. Another guy, Luis Sessa, he's just been a sheer disappointment ever since 2016. Man, 2016, he did well. But 2017, just, you know, no, since then, no. hasn't been good. Uh, some other guys in the bullpen, obviously, Chapman, you have to worry about. Britain, again, you know, did well. Adovino, very disappointing, as I mentioned. Um, people were talking about, you know, trading Adovino for, like, prospects or trading him for a pitcher. The Yankees are going to hit the luxury tax anyway, so I don't really get the point of that. Um, injuries to the outfield are also another part. But, obviously, DJ is coming back, yes. But I'm talking about the outfield for a specific reason. That being, like... Injuries always happen there. That's the core of injuries. Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, you know, when they're not swinging for the fences, they're on the IL. Mm-hmm. And you really need depth there. Brett Gardner, we may get him back, actually, according to Brian Hoke. Um, oh, interesting. No, yeah, another guardy party, possibly, or last hurrah. Um, <laughs> finds his way back every year. The last besides, dance. Yeah, the last dance with uh, <laughs> Brett Gardner. Other than that, you have Hicks, obviously. Um Good contributor, your Frazier. And I think put aside the injuries, you should put Frazier in left field, you know, have Gardner rotate there. But again, have Frazier, he's your long term answer, put him in left field. I agree. But again, when the injuries strike, who are your backups? You have your three core outfielders. Now, Stan, he doesn't even play right field a lot, so he's going to be the DH. So your outfield basically opening day 2021 is probably Frazier, Hicks, and Judge. Say Judge goes down. You have to put somebody in right field. Gardner doesn't play right field, so you're probably going to have to switch over Frazier. I mean, he did good defensively there last year, better than uh, 2019, at least against the Red Sox. Remember that game? That was horrible. Mm -hmm. But your backup outfielders, Mike Talkman, he didn't do good last year. Uh, Tyler Wade, you know, is ill. Uh, Utility player. And you have Greg Allen, Socrates, Brito. I mean, I could bring them up. Obviously, I will. But they are not invitees to roster spring to – excuse me. They are invitees, I think, to our spring training. They're not necessarily on the active roster, but that's what you got in the back of outfield. So I think the Yankees should actually build some trust and confidence in Esteban Florial. Yeah, I was actually – They brought him gonna... up way too early last year, obviously, because of injuries and this, that, and the other thing and with the – uh, 40 man roster and that stuff. And, uh, but obviously seeing him this year would be better than seeing him last year because I thought he was brought up way too early. CJ, uh, you were going to say something about Florial. Yeah, I know. I'm when you were uh, talking about the outfield depth, I was actually going to bring up Florial as well. I believe the Yankees kind of rushed him last season. I didn't think he was ready last year. I know it was like with the COVID you have to have some extra players and then some people were injured. So that's why they brought him up. But I don't think, well, actually, let me rephrase that. I do think the Yankees should bring him up this year, after, especially after players like Mike Talkman really didn't succeed last year, and Tyler Wade is not a good option in the outfield because he cannot hit for his life. He eventually hits home run, or like every once in a while. It did against the, the Mets, ironic enough, considering it's the Mets. But I think we should call up Floreal, possibly bring, put him in the outfield, get him some depth, get him some experience. I believe he, I believe he's a good bat. I know he's a very good fielder. And I think he can be a better option than guys like Talkman and Wade. You always could have uh, Andujar in left field. Oh, goodness. <laughs> that, that worked out uh, phenomenal last year. <laughs> I don't even know. They, I know why they did that hypothetically, because they wanted to get him more time with Urshela. But he's going to have a shot at third base. 
at least for a little while because he's coming back from uh, removing the bone spur surgery and, for the, you know, the spring training and that stuff. I think it's going to be the last hurrah. I mean, to be honest with you, he doesn't have much trade value right now, in my opinion. People say, oh, he trade Andujar. What is his trade value? Other than 2018, he hasn't played a lot. I agree. There really so, is no trade value. At the yeah, moment. I mean, you're trying to make him expendable in left field. We got a lot of outfielders, or at least you know, a good majority of outfielders. So why are we putting Andujar there? Why don't you just like put him somewhere where it's a position of need, like maybe I don't know, shortstop, second, or first. Back up. Which first reminds person. me, um, if I would have, if the Yankees would have let Lemayhew just walk on free agency, mm-hmm. I would have signed Didi or Andrelton Simmons. To go to play shortstop, okay, correct me there, play shortstop and put Glaber at second. Because I don't think, you know, people say, oh, his natural position. Didn't do well last year. You can look at the stats all you want, but the eye test told you he made a lot of errors, and it doesn't show up on the stat sheet when he misses a ball and, you know, attempts to dive for it and he misses. Exactly. That's what they don't tell you on the stat sheet in the analytics. I agree. So, I agree. And, I mean, I thought – if we didn't bring back LeMahieu, I know the LeMahieu contract talks were kind of at a halt for a while. And I was like, you know what? Let's kind of look ahead in case the Yankees don't re-sign him. So I'm like, okay, we have Simmons as an option. I don't believe he's signed yet. Neither is Gregorius. I would have loved to see a Gregorius reunion back in New York if the LeMahieu contract didn't work out, especially with the uh, movement of Torres back to second, where he is better defensively. Or unless he comes out in spring – well, I hope he comes out in spring training better defensively because that would be a huge help to the Yankees considering shortstop was just like a black hole last season whenever he, him or Wade were out there. I mean, Wade wasn't really that bad, but Torres was making errors occasionally. So I thought that Gregorius being signed would have been a nice idea, but obviously I'm happy we brought back LeMahieu, which is a great signing by Cashman in my opinion. Luke, any final thoughts before we go on to the last subject? Well, I was going to ask you guys, because I saw this earlier, maybe I think Alex saw it, but CJ hasn't seen it yet. The Yankees are interested in Marcelo Zuna. Do you sign him? No. no. I like him a lot. Don't get me wrong. And I was talking about earlier, you know, the outfield depth. But most likely on opening day, A, he's not going to be starting. I mean, I'm pretty sure if they sign him in that position, he would be starting. But hypothetically, you got a Frazier in left field. Stop wasting his talent and his exactly. trade value. How many times – and we've seen it over the years with the Yankees where you have Rob Ref Snyder. Starling Castro was signed. They wasted his talent. And he's now – he was with the Indians or was with another Nationals. team last time I checked. He was with a bunch of teams. I remember he was with the Blue Jays for a little bit. He was also – with, um, I believe, the Rangers at one point. I don't know where he is right now. But with the talent there, uh, Ben Gamble. Oh, man, I remember him from Staten Island. Yeah, I, I, miss, really I, miss, I miss him. But unfortunately, his value has gone down ever since uh, the Yankees traded him. I think it was to the Mariners. Mariners for like two prospects that I don't even know are in this organization anymore. Yeah, but I think – the Yankees have to learn not to do that and not to waste talent. I mean, that's the Yankee way the last couple of years, but they have to learn not to waste the young talent they have. Because remember, 2016, they traded for a bunch of talent. 
Torres, Rashad Crawford, Justice Sheffield. I would have loved to see Justice Sheffield play out, but we traded him for James Paxton. James Paxton didn't even work in the second year of, you know, him in the Bronx. So that's where I would like that trade back. If you're giving me one year of a pitcher, and this has been going along for a while, and I've said this multiple times, if you're going to give me a pitcher that works out a year, and this goes for Sonny Gray, Jay Happ, and James Paxton, if you're going to give me one year of him being good, the next couple of years of him being trash, I'll take my prospects back for thank you very much. Jorge Mateo, James Caprillion, Dustin Fowler. Um, that's the Sonny Gray trade. I don't know who we traded for Hap. I think it was Billy McKinney and Brandon, Brandon Drury. Drury. Drury, Drury, yeah. Drury didn't play that bad, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and James Paxton, Justice Sheffield, and how many other prospects? So I would rather have them back. Now, the first year they came, did they have good seasons? Yes, but again, they didn't have good seasons you know, through the rest of that. So let's go into the toughest opponent by division. Obviously, we face... The East again this year, but we also, by schedule, face the West and the Central. So let's go to AL East. Can we all agree that the Blue Jays are the toughest, or do we still believe that the Rays are still a factor? Blue Jays, 100%. I've been saying it for like the past two seasons, that one day the Blue Jays are going to be a very scary team to the Yankees. We saw it last season. The Blue Jays were kind of destroying us at some points, but then we turned around and beat them like, I don't know, it was like 12-1 to one game lopsided games and both, both times we all the times we played them for the most part. But I think the Blue Jays are a very good team. I mean, you have Bo Bichette at short, uh, Kevin Biggio, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Lourdes Gurriel. And George that, Springer. Well, George Springer now. Well, I was just about to say Michael Brantley, but that did not go through. That is a very good team right there, especially with the addition of George Springer now. They're, gonna, they're even better. And they were in the playoffs last season. They just snuck in. And I think this season in a full 162, I think they're going to get even better. And I think they are a huge threat to the Yankees at the moment. And when we didn't have LeMahieu signed, it kind of looked like a it would be even worse that the Blue Jays were going to kind of take over the division. But now that we have LeMahieu and now that we have some more pitching help, I'm a little more confident that we could possibly win the division this season. Luca, you have the same thoughts? Yep, I'm basically echoing what CJ's got. They they might they have a somewhat middle of the road rotation. They got Hyunjin Ryu, Tanner Roark. Um, I think they signed a starting pitcher this offseason, Tyler Chatwood. Yeah, but, they have a couple of guys on that staff. I mean, yeah. they're not you know pop out names like a Garrett Cole or I don't know how many other guys, but I think they have a decent enough staff to you know compete. And their offense definitely gives you a uh, a good look. Uh, mm-hmm. For the AL Central, with their young core, I'm going to go with the Chicago White Sox. Luca, and then I'll go to CJ. Yeah, that's pretty much that. They got a great catcher, Yasmani Grandal, a great first baseman in Jose Abreu. They got a decent pitching staff in Dallas Keuchel, Lucas Giolito, who threw a new hitter. Um, Michael Kopech. Michael Kopech's, Michael Kopech's going to be coming back. And, yeah, they have a solid rotation. Eloy Jimenez <clears throat> It's probably one of the main Eloy points that – Excellent outfielder. Yeah. And they Jimenez overall have a solid team. Yeah, I agree with uh, Luca there. They are a very solid team. I think they are a, um, a very fierce competitor. I know they have Tim Anderson, 
all these guys. I think they are a pretty good team. Elo Jimenez as well. They are a very good team with a lot of young talent. I said that a few years ago they were going to develop into a nice little team. And I think they did it. But imagine they didn't trade for – was it? They traded Tatis for James Shields or something. Was that what it was? Yeah. Imagine if they didn't do that. Imagine how much better of a team that would be if they had Tatis in the lineup still. But I think the White Sox are a huge threat in out of the AL Central. Shields post-Tampa Bay was not good. Not good That was at ugly. Ew. He was in San Diego. Then he went to Chicago. That was ugly. I mean, he's retired by now, I think, but yeah, that was is. ugly. AL West, I'm going to go with Oakland. Even though people are saying the Astros for some reason. but No. I mean, they signed Brantley back, but uh, Luca, didn't you have an argument with me or oppose me on that view last night? Well, it's kind of interesting because the Astros, I think, will be that they'll be a solid team. But they are going to miss Justin Verlander for, I think, most of the season, if not all of it. Because I think he had Tommy John... Um, Lance McCullers is back, and I don't think anything is really exciting about them. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way, CJ. Yeah. I guess you share that. Yeah, obviously the Astros are without the star power and George Springer, and they're most likely without the be waste without paper going. basket. Yeah, they're also without a garbage can in their dugout, so they are not as good anymore. So I think the A's are a threat as well. Very good little team right there. Hopefully, maybe they could even get past the first round on the playoffs this year, considering every year they make it in and then they get bounced in the wild card of the first round like they did last season and the previous like three or four seasons. But I think the A's are a better team than the Astros, and I think they're we're going to have some good games with them as well. Last one, NL East, Mets or Braves? Oh, that's a tough question. Well, obviously – the Mets have arguably one of the better rotations in the NL East at the moment. Lindor. And that's why I – yeah, and obviously with Lindor. But I would rank the Mets over Atlanta in this situation because of their rotation. I mean, you have like a super good rotation with Jacob deGrom, Stroman, Syndergaard coming back, Carlos Carrasco. Those are four-star pitchers right there. And I think that that is going to be a huge threat to the Yankees and to other teams around the league. And now with the addition of Francisco Lindor, that makes their batting lineup better, and it makes their infield defense a lot better as well. And they do have some good bats over there, especially like McNeil, Conforto. Maybe uh, Alonzo would bounce back this season. But the Mets are a very good team at the moment, especially, and they're anchored by their rotation, which is exceptional at the moment, in my opinion. Luca, you would say the same thing? I would say the same thing, and um, it's going to be interesting to see what their bullpen looks like. I don't think they were terrible last – like, I don't think they were – I don't think they were terrible to the extent of 2019 terrible, but they, I think they could use work. I got to look up the full statistics. I also think that, um, obviously, uh, with offense for the Braves, you got Freeman, you got um, – I'm missing his Acuna. name right now. Acuna. Acuna. You also Ozzie got Ozzy Albies as well. Swanson, I think he got better. I'm not sure. I have to do my research on that. Well, they have a couple of agent. you know, they don't have the pop out guys, I guess the Mets do. Um I don't know what the money is like for the Braves. Obviously, everyone except the Mets lost money from the pandemic last year and not having no fans. But I think Azuna signing back with the Braves would be ideal. But again, I don't know their entire situation. Um 
but the Mets definitely look in the eye as, you know, the possible leaders of that division and the toughest opponent. Um, aside from the Phillies, don't really look that appetizing. Uh, Nationals, Nationals, they have to rebound uh, hanging over from the World Series. And the Marlins, um, I think they're like, obviously they have a young core. Underrated. Don Mattingly, the manager. So maybe like third place, my opinion. Uh, they snuck in, I think, to the playoffs last year. I think they actually clinched, clinched a spot against the they're Yankees dead. at the stadium. So that's pretty much part of the season where we ended up just giving up. We're like, you know what? We're in anyway. We're not going to win the rest of the games. So Man. that was – I think it was – did we win the last game of the season? I don't remember. Because I remember we lost like one or two games that series. I believe we lost two games in that series. I remember we won the second game. I remember Garcia, Garcia pitched the second one, I think. Yeah, because mm-hmm. Clark Schmidt pitched the last game of that series, and I think we lost. They need to stop doing to him like – what NFL does to backup quarterbacks. Because I noticed a lot last season, they would put Schmidt in to get some time when the game was out of reach. Exactly. For example, Orioles. yeah, Orioles, the Blue Jays game where the bullpen entirely blew up, the Aravino, you know, the 10 runs in the one inning. So I think that really screws with your confidence. Let's just hope that also Aaron Boone doesn't pull a Divey Garcia again. I mean, basically – Analytics will drive you to that, apparently. But that's basically, in my opinion, in a different situation, what Doug Peterson did to Jalen Hurts. Well, we obviously don't have Jay Happ anymore, so maybe that situation yeah, might thank be a God. little more resolved. Yeah. <laughs> thank God. Thank um, as far as rotation next year, Montgomery's a lefty. You got Cole. You got Herman. You got Severino coming back probably midway through the season. Kluber. Who else am I missing? Kluber. Um Probably Davey Garcia or Luizica in there is a fifth guy. So I like Garcia in the rotation. Garcia I do like in the rotation. I think give him maybe a little more time and he'll be what you want. Mm -hmm. Um, Michael King, no. Luizica, he's probably going to be, you know, the star of the bullpen days along with Chad Green. Uh, But other than that, I don't really have initial thoughts. Any final thoughts before we finally end this episode? I'll go with Luca first and then I'll go with CJ. Just as final thoughts, Jets, Texans, Yankees. Anything else? I also read that uh, the uh, Texans want to pair a head coach with Josh McCown, a former head coach. As oh, a coordinator? Goodness. Yeah. Who's coming up with this? these ideas? Oh, my God. Take Jason Garrett with you, please. Please. Let him return to the Lone Star State. Take Adam Gase. <laughs> Adam Gase. Yeah, that's another that's another one too. I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him, you know, a second chance, <laughs> even though he was never down there, just a second chance from being horrible. CJ, any initial thoughts? Uh no, I think I mean the Jets have some room to improve next season. I mean, I really would uh be happy with the Deshaun Watson trade and the Yankees moving forward. I think they just have to fix the bullpen a little bit and make some last minute additions to there keep the lineup together and stay healthy and they'll have a good season. That is episode number 81 of the big blue in the Bronx podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday. Uh, Jordan is going to join me that day. I believe uh, we're going to talk about Dave Gettleman and his tenure and why giants fans criticize him. Uh, thank you guys for coming on. 
I definitely do want to do this after free agency so we could actually, you know, compare and not just say Giants for everything. Um, <laughs> see if we'll go live Sunday on Sportscaster before the championship games. Thank you, guys, and uh, talk to you soon.